Welcome to today's podcast, Leveraging Facial Expressions to Enhance Emotional Intelligence. Unless you've never been lied to in life, you know that words aren't enough in assessing people and situations. Vital to emotional intelligence is fluently reading the language of facial expressions. Emotions are hidden in plain sight on all of our faces, and they shape and reflect our personalities and drive behavior. Understanding these expressions can help you reliably grasp what's going on with those you interact with, from prospective employees to sales negotiations to interacting with your boss, colleagues, or clients. I'm Greg Radner, Range Chief Marketing Officer, and I'm pleased to spend some time today with Dan Hill, an internationally recognized expert on emotions as captured through the facial coding tool made famous by Malcolm Gladwell's bestseller Blink and Fox's hit series Lie to Me. Five of the seven universal core emotions facial coding reveals were also highlighted in Pixar's Inside Out. Dan's work spans applications from market research to legal, behavioral finance, and professional sports, as well as the analysis of executives, politicians, and cultural icons in serving as facial expressions biographer of famous, newsworthy individuals. Dan, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. So I watched that show lie to me. I was fascinated with it. My wife and I were. Um, and the science behind it. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the science behind it and how it works. Sure. Uh, it originated with Charles Darwin. Darwin was the first scientist to take emotions seriously. He figured they didn't matter to us. They would have been weaned out of us over the course of evolution. So Darwin, being the inquisitive guy he is, said, okay, that's great, but where will I see emotions registering and it's in the face it is the best place where we reflect and communicate our feelings and for three reasons one it's universal even a person born blind emotes the same way as you or i which is quite amazing so it's it's hardwired in the brain it's not socialized or learned second only place in the body where the muscles attach right to the skin so it's quick, real-time, unfiltered data. The third, as Gladwell said in Blink, there's a wealth of information in the face. We have more facial muscles than any other species on the planet, which makes sense because we are very social creatures. So a man named Paul Ekman came along about a century later and codified it into a system. So essentially what we're talking about is seven core emotions and 23 expressions that go to one or more of those emotions. That's great. I'm, I'm afraid to look you in the eye uh, right now, so you're reading, reading what I'm thinking. But let's talk about those seven core emotions on people's faces and how our listeners can learn to spot them. Sure. Uh, the first one is the most common, which is happiness, I'm happy to say. Uh, I really look at happiness on four different levels, potentially. Uh, what I call joy birds is when the muscle around the eye relaxes, you get the twinkle in the eye, it really can't be faked, that's why it's called a true smile. Uh, think of Ellen DeGeneres or Zuckerberg when he's not testifying to Congress. Uh, these are people who show this a lot. As you drop through to the lower levels of happiness, the lowest one is this really begrudging smile, like that's the worst joke I ever heard, but at least you tried to humor me. Uh, you'll see it with the celebrities when the paparazzi is after them, or there's a wonderful expression or statement in a poem by Thomas Hardy said, the smile on your face was the deadest thing with strength enough to die. That is that low-level, begrudging smile. But we all know what a smile is, basically. The corner of the mouth come up and lift. And uh, it's a very warm emotion, by and large. It means we're going to embrace others and new ideas, brainstorm well. Uh, but it can mean, at times, you're going to be sloppy with the details. So that's, that's happiness. Uh, the next one is surprise. 
which is both a positive and negative emotion, potentially. Uh, a positive surprise, of course, I got a new car for Christmas. That's great. Uh, maybe I had a new car accident on the way home from work, on the other hand. Uh, that's not a positive surprise. Surprise, probably the most reliable thing would be the eyes go wide. We're taking in more information, trying to understand the change that took place just now. Uh, but the mouth can drop open as well. Uh, eyebrows can go into action and so forth. Then we move on to five other emotions, and I'll try to be a little bit succinct here. Anger is compression. So the lips might press together, the uh, eyebrows may lower and knit together. So you're really focusing, uh, and it can have its upsides and downsides. Uh, sadness, you droop. Corners of the mouth come down like the rodeo clowns. Uh, you know, the other thing that I like, though, is the inner eyebrows pinch and lift together. That's a very nice, reliable sign of sadness going on. Fear, uh, most reliable sign would be the mouth pulls wide, egads sort of expression. Uh, you had that when, we, when you mentioned that I could read your face in this yes. interview. Uh, the last two would be disgust, something bad taste, bad smell, whether it's literal or metaphorical. Uh, this stuff is very straightforward at times. Uh, in this instance, the nose wrinkles, the upper lip flares. Uh, and finally, contempt, which is one of the emotions they left out of the Inside Out movie. And they really shouldn't have because it's a really important emotion. Uh, with contempt, you smirk. So you could get a unilateral flaring of the upper lip. But more common is you get this little tornado-like pocket of tension with a little bit of a lift but a lot of tension in the corner of the mouth. These are fascinating, and it goes back to Darwin, like you said, and um, sort of uh, innate to all of us. And But it sounds like, based on your descriptions, that you can sort of learn to read people. Oh, right? absolutely. So how, does that, how do you go about learning to read people like this? Well, I have a new book called Famous Faces Decoded Perfect. that uh, does go through and explain these and which ones go to a single emotion and which ones go to multiple. And I tried to take uh, Dr. Ekman's rather more involved description, be honest to the essence of it, but also make it more accessible for the common reader. And anyone in the business community, anyone for their personal life can certainly go there. But this is something that's really baked into all of us if we just pay attention. Think about all the ancient art. You're talking about everything from the Sphinx to the statues on Easter Island to totem poles. Uh, I use eye tracking in some of my work, including a new book I'm at work on, on regarding art. And I know from both advertising and art that about 70% of people's gaze activity goes to the face. So it would be smart in daily life to spend about 70% of our time probably looking at the face and de-escalating how much we go with the words. So you, you have this connection of the facial coding tool, it seems like, to emotional intelligence. Yes. You just bridge that gap a little bit for us. Talk about emotional intelligence and, and how we can use that maybe to our advantage. Yeah, there, there are a number of books out right now. There's one by Susan Gilbert from Harvard. Uh, there's the Emotion 2.0 book that stays on the bestseller list. Those books tend to be much more focused on how I'm feeling. So they're internally driven, which is fine. Uh, where my book goes and where my interest goes, by and large, is to say, can I have a better feedback loop with others? Uh, we tend to lie to ourselves, quite honestly. We like to feel good about ourselves. The biggest lies... Can we read and see if we see if we're lying to ourselves? We can read uh, our own faces? Um, well, <laughs> certainly you could, you could use a pocket mirror or sure. anything else. 
But I think the, the better way to go uh, long term is to know how you're playing with others. If they do not believe you, if they are smirking at you a lot, because contempt is an emotion that is essentially opposite of trust. If trust is the emotion of business, contempt is the emotion of bankruptcy. And it's also the emotion of divorce, which is why I wish they hadn't left it out of Inside Out. In Gladwell's Blink, he discusses the Love Lab at the University of Washington, Seattle. With 15 minutes of decoded videotape, a 90% accuracy rate if the couple will stay married, contempt the most reliable indicator. Because, of course, if you don't trust the other party in your relationship, in your business ties, you are in trouble. So my book is really focused on emotional intelligence aided by facial coding to say, let me get a feedback loop going here. Because we tend to want to feel good about ourselves. And yes, we want to attract allies. But in the process of doing both of those, we often kind of tend to overlook the, the speed bumps, the negative symbols or signals. And I think it's important to keep open those channels of communication and there's nothing better than the face. Wonderful. I mean, so let's, let's turn to some practical applications. So our audience here is going to be uh, business folks. They're C-level executives. That's who we really are listening to our podcast. And I have some personal experience with, with, with one application we were talking about before, but um, bringing some people in who are good at what you do. Uh, there's a local firm here in Boston who brings them in, listens to CEO quarterly earnings presentations and, and watches them in person. And uh, they're hired by investors to, to give them a read on how uh, truthful or how positive they believe in what they're saying, how strongly they believe in what they're saying, and to give them some, some feedback on it. And supposedly there's an 80% accuracy rating around that from the investor perspective. I wonder if you can comment on that, but maybe give some other practical business examples. Of how sure. Uh, well, manual facial coding, which is what I practice, is over 90% accurate if you know what you're doing. Uh, the versions that are done through automation, which is certainly where the game is headed, uh, are still a fair ways off. Uh, there was another firm here in town. I compared their results from the 2016 presidential debates uh, to our own. They reported 23% more anger than I believe was actually there. So that's a pretty large gap. Mm -hmm. But there's no question this is what's going to happen. So, for instance, The Economist mentioned uh, in an article not only a firm in China that's valued at a billion dollars in the space, but coined the term the facial industrial complex. So this is going to go big time. Uh, so what I started with a twinkle in the eye in 1998, you now have Facebook and Microsoft and Google, uh, this Chinese company. You have all sorts of people coming into this space, large and small. So in the C-suite, yes, uh, obviously investors with their money like to know whether the CEO is confident of what they're saying, if they're being lied to. Uh, there is no lying muscle in the face, so it's not as simple as that. You have to contextualize it which is where the analysis as well as the coding comes into place. But yes, certainly any presentation, mm -hmm. uh, the confidence. I've done CEO coaching to help them realize this is what they're communicating. It may have this result for the investor community, for PR, for their own employees. Uh, so that's an application. I would also say negotiations uh, without question. Can I get a read on who the other party is uh, when I'm making steps and can be actually maybe more assertive, more, you know, more aggressive in my requests or conditions? Uh, when should I perhaps back off that they, they may be about to end the negotiations if I continue down this, this particular tangent? 
Uh, I think those are applicable. Uh, I've done some work that involves uh, exactly, basically the executive team and the emotional dynamics. Uh, there's some tensions that can evolve over time. Uh, how can those be resolved potentially? I've done that with NBA basketball teams, by the way, as well. Uh, and finally, hiring. Um, if you're going to add someone to that executive team, uh, you know, there's probably a corporate sensibility. There's certainly a CEO whose personality is going to loom large in the equation. Is this person going to be a fit? Uh, all hires are loaded with the potential that they go awry, and especially the executive level. The stakes are just too high to make a mistake if you don't have to. Yeah, and the HR one is interesting. I think you guys in your materials referenced Ryan Leaf and how there was some missed clues uh, or cues there. Our own Patriots here in Boston have just brought in a wide receiver with a, with a troubled background, and so it might, it might not be helpful if we could learn a little bit there as well. Uh, sure. No, I, I had front-page coverage in the New York Times a few years back for looking at draft choices, trades, uh, team chemistry, even who to play together you know, out on the floor uh, in, in basketball terms. So with Ryan Leaf, this is how I actually introduced my book, Facials Decoded. So I'm taking the draft that year where you had Peyton Manning and Ryan Ryan Leaf and the Chargers, San Diego Chargers, thought they'd gotten a steal because uh, Leaf fell to the second position, which is what they had the option on. What they missed in Ryan Leaf was happiness can be a very nice emotion in that uh, you can brainstorm better and you get to often superior solutions more quickly. The downside, which I think I already mentioned, was you can get sloppy with the details. Uh, you're in a comfort zone. You think things are going to be on glide path. Well, the NFL is not glide path. And coming from the college ranks, you suddenly have people charging at you who probably on average weigh another 30 pounds. They're quicker. They're meaner. They're smarter about how to get to you. Uh, you know, Ryan Leaf was, you know, the number one probably disaster of all times in draft choices. So I can't comment. I haven't looked at the expressions of the new Patriots wide receiver, but I, you know, knew you guys took Randy Moss, who uh, is from my home state of Minnesota, was on the Vikings for a while. Uh, he was always a lively personality, yes. and that's that's being cautious about how I'm stating it. He ended up a good choice. He ended up. He a good was choice a good choice. Us, yeah, so. no, there was there was <laughs> mileage still on him. Yes, and he could really stretch a defense, but you had to work with him. And eventually, you know, of course, they got tired of of the aberrations and his sure. behavior. Sure. Uh, and from our own application in the marketing world, um, we've used it in past in past lives. This eye tracking capability they're talking about to look at a website page. And from a design standpoint, test out where people are looking, you yep. know, and wh what attracts them. And you know, traditionally, it's the upper right corner you're supposed to put your your most important, but your most important information. But I'm fascinated by that too because it's a real world application here in marketing. Yeah, no, I, I have seven U.S. patents, and one of them is for the linkage of eye tracking and facial coding. What do they look at, and how do they feel about it? And both of these you can break down to really small increments of time, which is vital. Uh, I know from the art book that I'm working on that three to five seconds is all you got in an art museum. It's pretty similar on a website page. And so if you track those patterns in the middle and then gravitating to the top left is actually the most valuable real estate mm -hmm. typically. Uh, where you don't want to be is what I call the lower right-hand corner. That's what I've dubbed the corner of death. And that's where the ad agencies love to put their clients' logos because it doesn't interfere with their design. That is the second to last place 
that the viewer tends to go, and they may never get there at all. And the only thing worse is the alley of death, which is along the lower right-hand side, kind of going up the page. But it's that lower right-hand corner that honestly gets at a minimum 40% of the local placements. So you're talking about a lot of unbranded stuff. And then you also want, of course, emotional engagement besides the eye looking at it. So you want the eye to stay with it, but then you want an emotional charge. If you don't get that, emotions aren't trivial. I mean, some people may still believe that amazingly after 20 years of brain science have proven that's not true. But you don't get engagement. You don't get it being memorable, recall. You don't get call to action without emotion. Uh, In fact, if you go back to Latin, the verb movere, to move, to make something happen, is the root word for both emotion and motivation. So God knows if you have a website, you want it to pay off. You better create an emotional charge, which also means you probably should shorten the copy. You should put your key information close to a face. There should be some action or movement happening because changes in the status quo are either threats or opportunities. But either way, we pay attention to the the rabbit that's moving across the screen, particularly with the lion right behind it. Uh, wonderful. So I just learned some few things that we're going to have to go back and, uh, and look at our website again. Um, you mentioned one thing I wanted to turn back to, which was AI sure. and where this might be going. Maybe you can give a sense as to, I mean, we're, we track that as a risk uh, for our clients as well. It's not just an opportunity, but it is a, a lot of risk to it as well. Yeah, I, I came into this in a, in a simple term as saying that I wanted to humanize business. I wanted to restore humanity to business. I thought that companies could move ahead more powerfully if they got a more intimate and more accurate read of what's going on. As you might guess, I'm not always a huge fan of focus groups. I'm afraid that people can you know, get their small incentive pay and leave without necessarily divulging how they really feel about something. You know, it's, it's good. It's good enough. Well, good enough is not good enough in a very cluttered marketplace. Um, so I really wanted to say, let's get a more intimate read. Let's then have a payback for the consumer so that they have a richer, nicer experience, whether it's websites, TV spots, how the product functions, anything. Uh, but I, I always knew there was a potential, regrettably, for it to be used in other ways. And we are going to see, those, see that, and we are already seeing that. So this company in China is supported by the government. And uh, it's been in the news recently that there are up to a million Muslims in the western region of China who are in re-education camps, basically, internment camps. Mm -hmm. And the software is being used to, in some cases, read students in what I would call essentially indoctrination slash propaganda classes. And if their reactions are adverse to it, they're being pulled out of the classroom for more intensive re-education. So that's the regrettable, you know, dark side of this. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we have... Uh, cameras everywhere these days, and those cameras are already being used and quite fluently for identity recognition. Facial coding is emotion recognition. Those are two separate things. The emotion recognition piece is still coming on. It still needs a higher level of quality to it, but it is coming on, and yes, you are going to be in situations, I believe, unless they are regulated out of existence, where your TV set will be reading your emotions. Uh, so they will change the advertisement. If they had bought you know, three spots during a program and you didn't go for the first one, they may change it, be able to actually change and show you a variation of it the second time around. Um, so it's going to be quite ubiquitous. 
Uh, of course, you're already using identity recognition for uh, coming into facilities, and they, they, they you know, use credit card, and they can get all your information and make it fairly seamless. Uh, I think you're going to see all sorts of things. They might, you might go into a restaurant, and you know, they can say, well, in the old days, you know, did you like the appetizer? They don't have to ask you in the future. Very good. This reminds me of uh, Tom Cruise in Minority Report, right? Absolutely. And so he's walking yes. on the street, and the ads change depending on what, you know who's yeah. walking by the, yeah. the station. Yeah, and that's certainly going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, I could even imagine you going to the grocery store, and they figure out your mood for the day. You know, do you really just want junk food because you had a terrible day, and you're not in the mood for a, a more elaborate, maybe higher-quality uh, dinner? Uh, who knows? They might just say, well, you, tell you to, to get six cartons of ice cream and leave. They because, put it in the checkout, right yeah. in the checkout area. Yeah. It comes who, out. Who, who knows? Uh, well, that's a, that's in the future, hopefully. Um, but you, um, Dan, you're an author of five books. Uh, the, the one you mentioned, Famous Faces Decoded, um, that's the newest one. Tell us a little bit about that one. Sure. I looked at 173 celebrities across various walks of life. Uh, I included notable CEOs in that. Uh, also politicians, particularly presidents, uh, but people from Hollywood, rock stars, uh, media types, athletes. And uh, so I went through and coded each of them, and I go by uh, each of the core emotions, and I offer both what's the kind of the thematics of that uh, particular emotion, as well as stories that help illustrate the motivations that cause it. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. So I opened the anger chapter, and Cary Grant, you know, the, the famous uh, movie star, uh, is staying in a hotel, and he doesn't get part of his breakfast order. Uh, because I guess the efficiency expert in the hotel decided that the extra one half of the, I think it was a muffin or croissant, didn't get eaten by most guests. Well, Cary Grant was a very stingy man. Uh, stinginess can involve that I want to control my circumstances, in this case money. He went all the way to, to waking up Conrad Hilton in Turkey, in Istanbul, saying, where's my other half croissant? Uh, so that's how I opened the, the passage on anger. Great. Great. Any, were there any, so you've been doing it so long. Is there anything that, that, that surprised you when you were writing, coming up with that book? Well, yes. Um, I'll stay with anger. So I'm a, a long-term Beatles fan. And, uh, uh, you know, I always thought of George Harrison as the, the quiet Beatle, uh, the guy who went on to write songs like Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. Well, lo and behold, I started studying George Harrison in earnest. And the guy was angry, not as angry as Eminem, the rapper and some of the other people yeah. in my book, uh, but fairly angry. And then I started diving back into some Beatles books, and it was like, yeah, Ringo would say, I, I never was sure if I wanted to approach George in the recording studio because some days George was okay, but other days George would lash out. So that was certainly a surprise to me. Uh, Martha Stewart was a surprise. Uh, I thought she might show a fair amount of of contempt, because I know when she got uh, prosecuted for the insider trading, I happened to, to watch the footage the day of that, and she showed a lot of contempt on that occasion. That proved to be isolated. Martha Stewart basically works really hard, so she has kind of a moderate level of happiness, mm-hmm. and she shows uh, a lot of you know low-grade anger in that she's very focused on what she does. So the joke I put in the book is, of course, she has her magazine, Martha Stewart Living. And I said, really, it should be retitled Martha Stewart Working, because that's mostly what she does. She is incredibly industrious. Interesting. I'm sure there's a lot more in there. You, you also have a firm, Century Logic. Um, that firm's a member of the network here at Rain. Um, but tell us a little bit about what, what that firm does. 
Um, sure. We're very broad in the applications. And I think one of the things that distinguishes us is the ability to link the verbatims to the emoting. Because obviously when the mouth moves, uh, that creates difficulties for the software to read it accurately, at least at this point. And so we like context. So the context can be eye tracking brought into the facial coding. It can be working with the verbatims. Uh, we've seen over time four different patterns. One is someone says something, including in a focus group. Uh, they say it, but they don't feel it. Uh, so essentially, Elvis has left the building. And I would suggest you discount it if there's no emotion behind it, because then they're just saying it to fill the airwaves. Uh, we do find that sometimes, yes, what they say and how they feel matches up. It's the least common of these four patterns I'm telling you about. The next one's the slight disconnect. And then the major disconnect is the what I call the say-feel gap. So when you get to questions like purchase intent, uh, does the what particular part of the passage of what the CEO is saying in the investor call, you know, matters? Uh, first impressions. Uh, so that's really part of our stock and trade uh, is being able to investigate initial reactions because you, often that's all you get in life, and also around purchase intent sort of applications. So we're very broad in all the ways we apply it, but I think the differentiator is the quality the ability to link it to the verbatims, and then the analytical prowess. I've done this for 20 years for more than half the world's top 100 B2C companies. So if I haven't learned something in the process, then shame on me. Great. So, Dan, really interesting um, for me, at least, in this podcast, hopefully for our listeners as well. So thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, for those that are listening, if you're interested in learning more about Dan, um, you can buy his book um, or you can contact Rain uh, and we'll make an introduction to uh, him through uh, Century Logic. And I also have a blog called Faces of the Week, uh, which people can access by going to emotionswizard.com. That's emotions with a S, emotionswizard.com. And I cover the waterfront a lot on politics, but also anything like the Academy Awards snafu of a, of a year ago or so. Uh, anything that catches my eye and has a human element to it. Great. Thanks again, Dan, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you.